Hey everybody and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. Uh, my name is Aid, and good to speak to you all again. Uh, with me today, sadly no Rachel because she's super, super busy, but Claire's here. How are you doing, Claire? I'm very well, thanks, um, Aid. Uh, and this is the first time I'm seeing you in the new year. It is, <laughs> isn't it? It's been too long. Happy New Year, yes. <laughs> yeah. Have you still got your Christmas tree there? I've still got my Christmas tree up, yeah. I haven't had a chance to take it down. And you know me, I like to keep them up quite long. The longest I've had it up is till June. <laughs> That's true. I do know that about you. I do know. I, I suppose I shouldn't yeah. be expressing surprise, should I? Yeah. So, so it's not. It's not. It's still within the season. Yeah. <laughs> until June. Yeah. It's still within the season until June. Well, hey, it's it's nice to be festive, isn't it? And not let go of that too quickly into the new year. It's easy easy to uh, to forget about it all too quickly. So uh, yeah. So uh, well, did you ha- did you have a good break uh, apart from being sick through most of it? Yeah, I had a good break. Uh, Yes, I had COVID the whole time, but it wasn't too bad because it made me, you know, I had to stay in and uh, recover. And so I basically binge watched um, Better Call Saul. So if no one has, maybe all listeners have watched it, which is the prequel to the Breaking Bad series. And if you haven't, I really recommend it. (laughs) And there's some, some really nice cinematography in that as well. So quite inspirational in parts but a very good storyline that's interesting that's a bit of a modern thing for you to be watching isn't it normally it's like 60s noir drama yeah Okay, well, you haven't just been recovering and resting because you have organised for us a super special guest for tonight haven't you? So uh, yes special guest, yeah so listeners might remember a couple of weeks ago we spoke to um, Ellen Rogers and uh, within the conversation um, came up um the gentleman who we've got here tonight to talk to us um really delighted to have andrew sanderson with us um for listeners andrew is an ilford master printer he's recognized as um, a leading practitioner in the paper negative he's also recognized as one of the world's best hand colorists he won he runs lots of workshop and he's written um a book that sounds really interesting three books and one i'm really interested in which is about night photography so um really lovely work as well so welcome to um episode 312 i think aid isn't it i think it is yes yeah. uh, <laughs> andrew hi thanks for inviting me yeah. well you're most welcome it's good to have you um, and and with with a, an introduction like that and and so so much experience it's difficult to know where to start right. the conversation isn't it so there's so, so much we can dive into i'm sure our listeners have been very keen to hear about printing uh but i know i'll tell you what let's let's give claire a break because i know claire's really keen to talk about night photography <laughs> Yeah, but maybe we should start at the beginning and ask Andrew how you even began with photography. Okay. <laughs> well, my dad was a keen amateur photographer and he, he was in camera clubs. When we lived in the northeast, we lived in Stockton on Tees, and he had a twin lens reflex and a Polaroid camera, a black and white Polaroid camera. And we, when we moved to Yorkshire, I would have been... Um, Mm, uh, I was 13 and he put all his camera gear in the attic. He put his enlarger in the attic and he didn't ever do it again. He didn't have the space and he was much, much busier at work. And that was the end of his photography. Uh, A year or two later, I wanted to take pictures of my friends. We were playing out, messing about, going to the woods and things like that. And I borrowed his Polaroid camera and ran off the rest of the film. 
Really liked it, really enjoyed what, what, what it could do. Um, the controls were very, very basic. It's a basic um, black and white Polaroid lens camera. They were gray and black with a little red button on the top. Um, and I went into our local town to see if I could get some more film for it. And it had just been discontinued. They had about uh, 10 rolls of, of the 10 rolls, 10 packs of the film left that they were selling off really cheap. So I bought a whole lot and spent that summer just firing off Polaroid pictures of friends and, and, and yeah. things that we did. Absolutely loved it. Well, when the film ran out, I had to find some other way of taking pictures. So I borrowed his twin lens reflex camera and he showed me how to use it. And I put a roll through that and then he showed me how to develop it. We got the things out of the attic, he showed me how to print. And it was, it was really fascinating, but at, oddly, I didn't take it up at that point. I was too busy going out on my bike and doing the things that we do as teenagers, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, it was only a few years later when I was unemployed and somebody said, why don't you go to art college? Cause you're obviously artistic. Uh, and I was totally in the dark about what that meant. I, I went to an open day and realized that that was actually something that I would really be interested in. Went to art college and then studied photography there for two years. And that's when it became a proper obsession when I could see what the potential was. And people were opening my eyes to other photographers and, and other people's prints. And it became the most amazing experience. And that's, that excitement has never left me. And that, that would have been, I started college in late, in, in 78 and I finished in 82. Yeah. So it's been a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a that's a, a lifelong passion, though, by the sound yeah, of it. Yeah. So, and, and the 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 night photography thing came about because my dad he used to have an antique business, and I would often go out delivering furniture with him. And this would be late at night after the, the shop had closed. We'd go and deliver things, and we pulled up in the car outside this house, and it was dark. And I was looking at the street lighting and looking at how it lit things up, and I just said to him, "Can you take pictures at night?" He said, "Yeah, yeah." I said, well, how do you know what your exposure is? And he's never been one to give me much advice. He said, well, it's hard to overexpose it. And <laughs> I, thought, well, I suppose that's true. And that was, as, that was all the advice he gave me. So the next night I went out with a tripod and a, and a roll of, I put the wrong speed film in, a hundred speed film in. And I, put it, <laughs> and I went up the road and did, did a series of shots. And then I stewed the film in the developer when I went back to college and they all came out and I was so knocked out with the look of it all that it made me want to go out and do a load of other stuff. So that was the start of that, really. I mean, I love the night photography. And when you said that just there, that you love the look of your first role, um, if for listeners, and we'll give the links to um, Andrew's website in the in the show notes. No, don't do that. Don't show my website. It's bloody awful. <laughs> it's, it's 15 years out of date. Okay, uh, well, wherever you want to look. But there's I'm some beautiful... Not anymore, you see. It's on the private server. Um, it was a friend. Anyway, it's a long story. But I can't update it and I can't shut it down. So oh. <laughs> I tell people to look at Instagram because that you can Instagram go and there's right. a lot of stuff on there. Or I have a blog as well, which is called uh, the Web Darkroom. So yeah. you look for that. I think it's webdarkroom.co.uk, um, and there's all sorts of stuff on there. But I, but your night portraits to me, I love the again very atmospheric, and I love the mood of them. And I, I just picked off a few images. So there's the churchyard one. 
which I really like. And I was going to ask you, actually, do you like your images no. or do you use street lights, as you were saying about street lights? Street lighting. Um, I have used a torch occasionally to fill in a little bit, but it tends to have such a, a, a slight effect, it's really not worth bothering with. Uh, and when you use a flash, be a little bit harsh, so I don't usually use flash on either. I just look for scenes that are lit the way that I want them to be. Yeah, I mean, because I, I, the churchyard one, um, I, the back lane one as well, I love that one. And that was the first one. That back lane was the on the first roll of film. Was that from that roll? Yeah. Wow. That, that night. I love that one. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I really love the atmosphere in that shot. And mm. I've put on the backlit one. And what's the other one? At the edge of the woods. I love that. There's um, so much atmosphere in them. That was such a magical night. It was, it was, it'd been snowing heavily and there was still a lot of sort of wet snow in the air, although it wasn't blowing sideways or anything. And I thought, oh, I'm going out to do some pictures. And I walked up the road from where I was living at the time. And I only had uh, one roll of film in the, in the camera and I couldn't change it because there was so much wetness in the air. Yeah. And everywhere I went, there was a picture. And I walked past um, the golf club, and it had a lot. There's one end of the edge of the golf club has got lots of trees, uh, and there's a tr there's a street light at the, on one side of the road, and the, and the trees are on the other side of the road. And I thought, oh, it'd be nice if I stepped into those woods and looked out at the at the light. I wonder what that would look like. And that's when that magical image just oh. appeared to me. And I thought, that's that's it. And it ended up being the image on the front of the night photography book. Yeah, night photography. So, so, is that right? So, sorry, just to make sure I've understood that correctly, the first ever night photograph you took ended up being the one that was on the cover of your book. No, no that's not the first one. Oh, the, right. the, the the one in the uh, the one that's taken in the on the golf course was uh, nineteen ninety seven. But hang, I've got the book here. I've got it because I knew we'd have to look at it. So um, inside page has got um, a giveaway sign. And then the one after that is the um, the night shot on back lane, if anyone's got the book. It's, um, well, I don't know if you've seen it, Ed. I don't know if you'll see it. If I hold it up to the camera, you might see it here. I'm waffling again now, aren't I? No, 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 yeah. no it's all good. Can you, can you see that, Ed? I can, yeah. yes, yes. I've seen that photo on your it. website. Yes, yeah, a fantastic photo. Really yeah, the thing it. is, when I was out shooting, that was September 1978. Wow. Hardly anybody had a car. Yeah, yeah. In that image, uh, and in the eighties, um, they they made it possible for people to get cars on finance. So loads of people bought cars, and and obviously now it's just nuts. Anywhere you go, you just can't get a decent night shot for cars either in the scene or driving through the scene. So I think I just I just did it at the right time. Yeah, it is. It's tricky, isn't it? And it's not not just in cities. I, I don't live in a city, but yeah, I, I live in a, a suburban, almost rural area. Um, yeah. uh, but there's still cars absolutely everywhere. It's quite tricky yeah. to get out yeah. and about, and especially if you want a road in the shot, a road with no vehicles on it is is nigh impossible these days. You've got to go right out in the sticks, haven't you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So so that's so that's but that's that's forty plus years of of doing night mm -hmm. photography then wow that's that's um yeah yeah forty four years yeah yeah that's and, and what do you think Andrew are some of the key things for anyone that wants to go out <clears throat> doing night photography um with that with film to consider like what do you think would be the best film speeds to use what things do you think people need to consider to get the best out you of need, the you need a fully manual camera yeah. You need a tripod, you need a camera release, you need a stopwatch, and you need a torch so you can see the settings on your camera, okay? Now, the thing is, if you go out and take a shot and it's not right, 
you can go back out the next night and get it right because the street lights are exactly the same night after night. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the exposure is going to be the same. It was well, going to be the, the correct exposure is just there waiting for you. The only thing that will change is it might be misty or it might be wet. Yeah, the exposure will still be the same exposure. Um, when I was shooting, it was all orange street lighting. Now it's all uh, LEDs, mm. and they're. I think they're okay for for exposure. I haven't done much photography out out in the street since everything went onto LED. So I need to test that again. But it's just a simple matter of getting to understand. They, they usually set at a similar distance apart, aren't they? The, the, the lights. So if you do some test exposures in and around a light area, and you do some test exposures halfway between two street lights, you've got enough information there to know what how to expose any scene anywhere you go. You can just say, okay, well, I'm halfway between two streetlights here. It's going to be this exposure. Mm-hmm. Or I'm a bit nearer to this one. It's going to be halfway between that exposure and the exposure I determined under the streetlight. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's just proportional. It's pretty basic, really. There's nothing complicated about it. If you can see detail in the scene, it'll, it'll record on the film. If you've got areas of completely deep black shadow, that's not going to really show anything on the film. So you choose your, your, your scenes according to the lighting that's available. And as you say, it's difficult to overexpose. <laughs> the problem is when the actual bulb is in the, the viewfinder. When you can see the bulb, you've got an intense point of light there on the film. And so you end up with a very dense area on the negative, which is difficult to print in. So the trick is to sort of hide that behind a branch, move your camera around so that the bulb is behind a branch or it's, or it's hidden behind something else, you know, a, a fence post or something, so that you haven't got the, the bulb directly shining into your lens, but you can still then do the, the exposure. Now, that's very interesting because immediately we're talking about the the, the impact of of the outcome yeah, or the out, the impact of the output, so, uh, it, it, uh, if that's not a clunky way of saying it. Mm-hmm. So sh- shooting with the print in mind and the printing process now, in mind. You, you, just, you, you touched on something there. The, the best advice I ever had, in photography was from a friend of mine I was at college with at, at art college and he said always have the finished print in mind before you press the shutter and I've never forgotten that and it's been the best advice I ever had so that that's that's yes that's very yeah that that I can imagine uh mm-hmm. that that is uh, uh and possibly advice that it, you know that that people wouldn't use often enough in these modern digital ages where many many photographs yeah, don't get printed consider that would you yeah uh no so uh not as a uh, as a general rule no i suppose um uh i, d- I don't do you know my own darkroom printing so it's not something that i have the experience or knowledge to speak about but mm. but yeah but yeah i mean it's it's certainly not something that i particularly worry about um unless it is that i something that i want to you know perhaps thinking about not getting uh silhouettes in in the foreground and having everything backlit to the point where it's a silhouette um, and again, being able to retain some some detail and things like that. So, yeah, interesting point. Although I suppose yeah, I tell you where one thing I do is when I'm shooting in stacks, that's different because I think uh, many, many of our listeners will know that if you, you shoot it, shoot in stacks, if you get the the sun directly in the film, it'll often leave a sort of dark blue, sort of purpley spot 
um, it, on the film if the if the bright sun is in it. Claire, does the, all the Polaroid stuff that you use does that have the same effect if you if you have the sun directly or a very bright light source directly? It can in the kind f- of yeah do like um, or sometimes do sort of bleached out effects sometimes depends. Um, but I, I've used yeah I know what you mean on the Instax though um, when I tried it. What what films what um, film speeds do you like to use, Andrew, for your night? night shooting because you just said that your first role with those great pictures was from 100 yeah um, i I discovered um hp5 just as it was released i I was actually shooting a bit of film before i went to college and that was it was 1977 when i started shooting hp5 and and they've improved it over the years but it's it's been the thing that i've the film i've used the most i've tried all sorts of things but uh, I find it difficult to give up HP5. It's, it's amazing. So a 400-speed film for night photography is, is great. And if you find 35mm a bit grainy, just use a bigger negative area. Yeah. Because if you start going on to slower films, you end up with horrendously long exposure times because you've, you've got, obviously, a slower film, but then you've got reciprocity on top of that. So a slower film like a 50 at night, you're giving yourself a really hard time. You're not going to get many shots done in one evening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we won't, will you? So, how does, uh, so with the HP5 then, um, how does that handle things like reciprocity? I mean, do you, you know, what, what sort of extension of exposure times do you need to, to handle okay. for? One second is one second, two seconds is three seconds, uh, four seconds is six seconds, eight seconds is 16 seconds, 15 seconds is 36 seconds. 30 seconds is one minute, 30 seconds. I've got it all. That's, that's <laughs> amazing. You've just rattled off the reciprocity I've it, numbers. I've got it on a sticker stuck on the back of my light meter. And, um, and it's also in here. That's that's okay. that's incredible that you know the reciprocity timings. for. Yeah. Your, okay. that's, the, that's the advantage of working with one film a lot. You get to understand what it can do, you know. Yes, absolutely. There's a there's a lot to be said for that. I uh, I suspect um, you know artists like uh, Anton Corbijn would probably agree with you as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, when you, you get some artists that will will find a particular method and they'll stick with it, um, so you might get well. Um, I mean, Bill Brandt has a particular look all the way through through his work. But, uh, perhaps mm. a great example, but you get. Uh, photographers who find a particular technique that works for them and it's their signature style and they stick with it. The problem with that is if your film or paper is discontinued, you're really up the creek. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I can't work that way because I get bored easily. Um, I've got to keep trying new things, new cameras, new films, new ways of working, new optics. And that keeps the excitement alive for me. And, and, the, and, and, the, and there's also got to be an element of not danger, um, the unknown for me. One, once I've got something nailed down and I know exactly how it works, I'll, mm-hmm. do, a few, I'll do a few shots in that style, and then I lose interest. I've got to find something that's, that's got an element of it might go wrong. I've got to, I'm trying to tame something. I'm, uh, I'm learning something and I'm experimenting with something and I'm trying to work out what, how, how to get the best out of it. And once I've got to that point, I lose interest in it and I'm off on something else. So I'm all over the place. And, you know, I've got so many different things. I've got five different projects going on in my head at any one time. Uh, and the problem is not getting enough time to do those things, you know. 
that's that, yeah I, I i can empathize with that somewhat actually because i uh, it, it although in my case um it it, it can sometimes be a, a good thing because it keeps the interest up but sometimes it can yeah, be yeah. a slightly less good thing because it means that i'm at a higher risk of of not following through on stuff and not ending yeah. getting bored yeah. getting bored before i create something substantial enough for that particular line of experimentation so so how, how do you know when enough is enough <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's never enough. Just, just keep do it. Just do it and do it and do it and do it. I mean, I, I'm, I do it so much. I don't uh, have time to think about anything else. I mean, I'm, I am, I am doing other things. I mean, I've, I've got a very busy life. But um, what I mean is, it's, it's got to. Con- if, if you want to produce good work, it's got to consume you. It's got to be something that you think about all the time, not just something that you, where you pick up a camera once a month or something like that. It's even though I've been doing it 44 years, if I don't do it for a couple of weeks, I get rusty and I go in the dark room and I have a bad day because I'm, I'm out of practice. You have to be doing it all the time. Oh. Oh. You do it. The more you do it, the luckier, luckier you get, as they say. Yes. yes. Yes, wise wise words indeed. Actually, I think that goes for a lot of endeavours in life, doesn't it? Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah. But especially ones uh, where where there is there is both a technical element and a crafting element. I think. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, I think that's that because you've got you, you've got the 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 ability to remember the the numbers and the things in your head, which it, which you know uh, for for me at least, if I don't practice those sorts of things, every, you know, re- frequently, then they they drop away. Then there's the muscle memory piece. There's the intuition. There's, yeah, there's yeah. all sorts of things. Isn't I think it depends there? on how demanding your job is as well. If you've got a job which takes an awful lot of headspace, then your artistic side is going to suffer, isn't it? That's definitely the case for me as well. I am I'm a classic, you know, too too busy kind of a person, which I'm not proud of. Um, uh, but uh, but it, it is it is a feature of the way my life runs. <laughs> I do try and wrestle it. Yeah, it's like the case that. for a lot of people. You know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm lucky in a sense that I I don't have a proper job, and I'm married to an artist, so we we can live in a, in the sort of artistic world more or less all the time. Yeah, um, I'm not somebody who has to deal with accounts or anything like that i don't uh, i don't you know i i can concentrate on being an artist when i'm not sidetracked by other family responsibilities and things like that you know which is i realize is a very privileged position to be in but it it has I, mean, I have sort of engineered it that way but as well it's not just luck it's you you create the sort of life that you want don't you you try and make things happen if it's important to you you'll make things happen absolutely in you know Yes, I think I think if Rachel was here, she'd talk to she'd talk about that as well. I think that would resonate a lot with her because she works very hard to have the sort of life that she you know that that she wants to, and she she crafts that you know she crafts the 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 ability to do those things the way that that inspires her. So definitely, from from what I know about Rachel, I think that she's put an awful lot of effort into making her business work and her online presence work, and I think that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Uh, yeah, but uh, it is fantastic. And it, that is exactly how she does it, which is sadly why she's not able to join our conversation yeah, here today. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. but uh, so, OK, so so practice, practice, practice is what I'm hearing. Yeah, uh, yeah. And and there's an element of experiment, but also an element of, of you know, uh, 
using the same tools in your case hp5 possibly uh you know, yeah to, to and, and really get to i use an awful lot of other things as well x-ray film paper negative uh, graphic arts films things like that then all sorts of things but um, that's part of the keeping the the little sort of danger element in there to making it a little bit unpredictable mm, and shoot with the print in mind yes uh, shoot with the prints in mind so that that was going to be one of my next questions is if you've done like one of your night shoots and you've, you've and you feel that kind of excitement and you want to see what you've got do you go straight then into the dark room ah you've just done something really important there Claire. <laughs> that is so important now a few years ago i was getting very frustrated i felt as though i'd lost my mojo and i wasn't i wasn't excited about printing and i wasn't excited about shooting <laughs> And I spoke to a really good old friend of mine who I was at, I was at college with, Paul Medlock, and he's the one who gave me that advice, always with the print in mind. And I said, I said to him how I was feeling down about it, and he said, the thing is, you've got so many things going on, you shoot something, and by the time you get a chance to print it, you've lost that excitement and that motivation. It's mm -hmm. three months down the line. You've forgotten why you took it. You're not, mm -hmm. interested in that. You're not interested in that topic anymore or that particular image. It's just an image on film that you might print. Whereas if you'd processed it and printed it in the same day, you'd be dead excited about it and you'd put everything into making that print work in the way that you had that image in your mind when you shot it. Yeah. And, and, I, and, he, and he was absolutely right. He's often right. He's often bang on. And, and so I did that at the earliest opportunity and the magic came back. So it is so important to shoot and process and print all together if you possibly can. Okay. This is where This is where something like large format it comes into its own because you can shoot one frame and you can process it straight away. If you shoot yeah. 35 mil, you've got the problem of finishing the film before you get a chance to print anything. So larger formats are more useful in that, that regard, even though the processing can be more of a pain in the ass for, if, you, if you're processing 10H sheet film, for instance, it can be a, you know, a bit of a pain to process 15 sheets of 10H film rather than one roll of 35 mil. Yes, yeah, but... Uh, Getting back to my original point was to shoot one image or two images on something you're excited about, process those, and you've got something that you can carry on with. Makes sense. Yes. So have you, have you done that many times, Andrew? Have you ever, like, gone out, done your night shoot, and then come home, go straight into the darkroom and maybe work through the night? Yeah, all the time until I had kids. And then the problem was finding enough time. I used to look after the kids a lot. We, we well, us being both artists, and we ran a, a gallery as well. We, I'm sure your listeners have heard this a million times. I've mentioned it before. But we had to work out a rotor for doing our own work and working in the shop. So it was three days a week. Hang on, yeah, get me maths right. Three days a week at home with the kids. And my wife was three days in the gallery. And then I'd have three days in the gallery. She'd have three days with the kids. And Sundays, we had to, as a family together. But having said that, it was still, when you get home, you're doing the tea, you're looking after the kids, you're chasing them around the house, you're tidying up the toys, you're putting them to bed. And then it's half past 10 at night. And then I would go to the dark room. Right? I'd go to the dark room at half past 10 at night, and I'd work till 2 in the morning. And then I'd get up at 7 o'clock in the morning and get the kids ready for school. That was the only way I could get any work done. But that, but that, oddly, that was the most productive time in my entire career. Wow. Okay. It's interesting, isn't it? When you because time was precious, I yeah. couldn't yeah. go in the and just mess about. I had yeah. to go in there and do the stuff that I, I needed to do. And like you say, you were bursting probably with your kind of like excitement and your ideas, and you know you had that motivation. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know if if now I don't know about if we can talk about printing because you are an Ilford master printer. Um, so how did that come about? And you know, for listeners, what does um, that mean? And it was partly accidental. I mean, I've been printing for years and years and years, and trying to get better at it, trying to get better at it, trying to improve, mm. learning as much as I could, practicing with different papers and things. But I had no way of knowing how good I was compared to other people. And, and I just lived in a little village in in Yorkshire. Mm. I, I never went to London. I never went and took my work around and didn't look at galleries or anything. So I just got a notion one day. Ilford had got into trouble. Ilford had got into difficulties financially when sort of digital became very, very popular. And they were they went into receivership and they were shut for quite a while. And then six of the directors decided to make a go of it again and start the company up. And I thought, oh, well, perhaps they'll change their packaging. If I go over and see them and show some images, they might use one or two of my images on their packaging. So I went to see them. They were knocked out with the stuff that I showed them and said, look, we need to work together. Would you like to work with us? We can put your pictures on, the, the, on our new boxes. Yeah, that's part fine. But we'd like to support you. We'd like you to do workshops for us. And we'd like to be an Ilford master printer. It's like, wow. <laughs> expecting all that. So... It, it, it was it was sort of fortuitous that I'd sort of made that initial movement towards them. Mm. Uh, it would never have happened without that. So it's it, it's it's fortune favors the, the what's the what's the phrase fortune uh, fortune favors. favors the brave, something like that. So because I've, I mean I've had periods in my life where I've been active and I've made things happen, and I've had periods in my life where I've sat around waiting for the world to come and find mm. me, and nothing happens and. You know, you realise you need to get off your ass and do something. So that was just one of those occasions when I made something happen, and the the knock on effects of that have been fantastic. It's been it's been a, a fantastic uh, thing to be able to say, yes, I'm an Ilford master printer. So just a, a bit of luck, a bit of adventure, and it all came together really. And so, think, so do you teach printing then, as as uh, you know, in workshops or at, yeah. and for uh, well, for years, for years, I did uh, workshops for Ilford. I went out and did workshops at, at colleges and universities and taught students. Uh, but the problem with that was that the, uh, the, the tutors would often not be around while I was teaching the students. Uh, and they'd drop me in for a day and I'd teach the students and the, the tutors would be off drinking tea or doing paperwork or whatever they needed to do. And and so if a student said to the tutor the week after, oh, what was it that Ilford guy taught us? The tutor couldn't follow it up. So the, the, it was sort of fizzling out, really. The, the whole idea of it was to keep Darkroom alive in colleges, you see. That's mm. why they're sending me in there. So they decided to go on a different tack. They would send me in and I would teach tutors. So the whole thing changed. I could go into, before, I could go into one college and I could teach 20 students. And I would get one of those workshops on a fairly regular basis every couple of months or so. Once it was teaching teachers, that was a completely different thing because they were so busy they had to arrange times when a bunch of them could get together and meet at a particular university where there was a good darkroom set up. And that would be end of term often. So the workshops were not as often then. They were they were infrequent, but they were more intense. I was teaching the tutors then rather than the students. And that was intended to then be passed on to the students at a later date. So, so yes, I've done quite a lot of darkroom teaching. I did all of that and I did work privately as well, teaching people who came to me for private workshops. Have you always printed black and white, Andrew? Have you ever printed colour? Oh, interesting question. Um, I messed about with Cibachrome when I was at college and I liked it, but yeah. I've never really... I've often said I don't think I've ever taken a decent colour picture. 
because I see, really? yeah, because and the funny thing is, I've just taken up painting, oil painting, mm. and I'm having to really look at colours in a way that I've never looked at them before. Because I've for years I'm consciously filtering out colour when I'm looking at things. I'm looking at a scene and, and thinking of it in monochrome, and mm. then when I'm painting. I'm thinking, oh, what's that colour? What's that colour? Is that a bit yellowy? Is that a bit pinky? You know, and it's it's a completely different way of, of, of thinking. So where was that? I've gone, I've gone sidetracked now. I can't remember what the original question. Oh, printing. Photography didn't really grab me. It didn't really grab me. Whereas black and white always had a lot of mood and magic about it. Color. Yeah, yeah, it does have mood and magic and all that. I like all the the dodging and the burning and. Yeah, there's so much you can do with black and white. Yeah, yeah. But talking about colour, I mean, the other thing is you're known, it's saying you're, you, you're known as one of the world's best hand colourists. So, because I can't, I can't take a <laughs> colour picture, but I like colouring black and white pictures in. I don't know, I can't understand why. But in a really, really skilled way. I mean, I love the image, the two cows. Oh. The hand colouring there, because hand colouring is such a skill and... Um, I think that is lovely how, how you've done it. And I, I saw your yes. you look at a lot of other hand colouring work online and it's bloody awful. And mm. you, well, how, why is it awful? It's dead obvious. It's, it's yes. by numbers. The picture's there. You just put, got to put the colour on top of it. It's dead easy. You know, there's nothing to it. It's just painting by numbers without numbers in it. You know, there's no numbers on the picture, but you just put the colour on top. And people are going off the edges and they're not looking at what the pictures, and it's just, you're not really paying attention. Just look at the picture, put the colour where the colour should be, and everything will come together. It's just, sorry, I'm being, <laughs> I'm perhaps being disingenuous here to other photographers. But... I think more to it than that, because I think that, like you say, sometimes you can look and someone, it might look like they've gone overboard or, I don't know, but but your hand colouring is beautiful. Is it Ada? Are you looking at some of it now? I can see Ada's looking. I am, yeah. No, I was looking at it earlier. I was just calling up that particular page on the website as well. And it's just, uh, it, it is interesting, isn't it? Because um, I think uh, my, my granddad, uh, who was a photographer in the, uh, a, a hobbyist photographer um, uh, in as early as the late 1920s, um, you know, I think he was once famous for having a hand coloured photograph in the door in the window of the local chemists, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, uh, prob probably in the 1950s or something like that, because I think it was of my father. If so, probably maybe the late 1940s, because so, so my father was born in the 1940s. Uh, my father was a kid. Um, and uh, I just uh, and it was um, I, I have somewhere that I have, a, I think, a digitization of that particular thing i don't know where the original is um long long lost i i suppose um but it's uh it, it, there's a, a sort of expectation you have in your mind isn't there when you think of hand coloring you know think of you know victorian babies faces being painted sort of bright pink <laughs> like... yeah yeah they're using oil paints all right color and it's very difficult to control it tends to lay on the top of the print and obscure the detail underneath. I've got an old postcard of an uncle who was in uh, the guards and he's got a red tunic on and they've put so much red paint on the tunic, you can't see the actual jacket underneath it. It's just flat. So, so what, it, what, are you, what are you painting with? What are you coloring? The, oh, is, I mean, for years and years, I've used dyes. Right. Mm -hmm. Dyes because they sink into the print and they don't sit on the surface. And then um, Ilford have brought out a lovely paper called Art 300, which is like mm -hmm. a watercolor surface. 
and that you can use colored pencils on top it's got a beautiful surface to it so that's that's opened up a new area of coloring for me and i'm just writing an article at the moment for for the classic uh, silver what they call now silver silver grain classics i always go back to the original name of the magazine yes and i'm doing uh, an article on hand coloring but i'm i'm experimenting with oils and um, I tried it once before, twice before I made a hash of it and thought I'm not touching that te- technique ever again. And they asked me to write an article on, on something and I said, oh, well, I'll give this a try. So it's it's going to be an article about me trying this technique, not saying mm. I'm an expert on it, just saying this is this is the difficulty I had, this is the things that I tried, this is, the, this is how it turned out. So it'd be interesting to see how that progresses. That's what I'm on with at the moment. It's a, it is interesting when you say you had no interest in colour, but like you say, you, you've got somehow into hand colouring. I don't know how you got into hand colouring. Maybe you can tell us, but I'm just looking at the candle picture, which uh-huh. is on Instagram for listeners, on Andrew's Instagram picture. I've, I've, I've seen this picture before. Now, for some people, they would look at that and it they'd think that that was a colour. Your hand colouring is so good that they might think it was a colour picture. <laughs> well, that's not the actual colours that the candles were. Right. I've changed the colours because the original candles, some of them were quite fluorescent in colour and I found it a bit garish. And I shot it on uh, an RB67. And I also, well, I often will take a picture on the phone at the same time as I shoot something. Yeah. And that's for me to get a date often because I don't get around to processing the films sometimes for two or three months later. Yeah. And it annoys me if I can't get the films in order when I put them in the, in the negative file. I like to have them in the order that I shot them. Okay. It helps me find things. So uh, for me to have a date when something's taken, which is obviously what, why the phone picture is taken, it's very useful. And so I was referring back to the phone picture for that one when I decided to colour it. And I thought, what the hell, those pictures, those colours are a bit, whoa, a bit over the top. So I decided to tone it down and make the colours more pleasing to the eye shall we say but still trying to make them look natural and they do i mean how did you get into hand coloring andrew how did you I think at, at college i was doing a bit of color color work because it's part of our course yeah and i remember shooting color stuff out outside doing landscapes and things and we didn't have color printing facilities at college so you would send it off to the local professional lab and yes. you would come back looking wishy-washy and not very sharp. And I just thought, this is awful. This is really awful. What I want is a pin-sharp image with a fantastic range of tones and really intense colours. So I thought, well, I'll just shoot it on black and white and I'll put the colours in afterwards. So that's what I did. And and, and, it, and it worked. And it gave me the control of having colour in certain areas and not in other areas and having the intensity that I wanted and having the sharpness that I wanted. And so I just stuck with it. Excellent. So you was, I did a few of them, and I, and I remember doing 20 by 16 prints and spending 12 hours colouring one print in with a fine brush and then showing it to people, and they just thought it was a colour print. And I thought, yeah. why am I spending so much time doing this if people aren't going to give it at the time of day? So then I started doing things with false colours, so I got green skies and orange foliage and things like that. So I did that for a little while, and then I just thought... And what am I trying to prove here? I mean, uh, it doesn't matter whether people think it's a colour print or not. I've got to do it for the, re- the right reasons. I've got to do it because I enjoy the image or I enjoy the process, and that's all that matters. And not not get too uh, wound not wound up, not get too bothered about what people think about it. Really, you know, it's I'm not doing it to 
show off technique. It's, I, I do it. I try and do it the best I can because that's the way I am. I, I don't like to do half half arsed job. If I'm going to do something, I do it as well as I possibly can. That's not the motivation for the final images. It's just my personal standards about my work. You know what mm. I mean? I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody else. I just won't put anything out there if I'm not completely happy about it. And have you had many people come when they do workshops with you, coming specifically to learn maybe hand colouring or yeah, yeah. Yeah. Art of whatever, do the hand hand colouring? Yeah, yeah, people come to me for all sorts, all sorts of things, yeah, but we've done, we've done quite a few hand colouring. You tend to have to pick a decent day for it because it's best done by daylight. If you colour by artificial light, the colours are all out when you look at them in daylight. So it's it, we need to do that in the summer, really, when you've got good, good yeah. summer. Good advice there. <laughs> That's a, it is it is incredible though that you can you can do all of those things. I guess there's you, you mentioned the Ilford papers. I mean, yeah, that it, without I suppose it's a bit. I am a bit sort of technically interested in that. Do you have to match then you know, your your printing technique with the paper that you're printing on them then, so that we with the coloring in mind. You know, taking your your advice of shoot with the for the finished print in mind. Do you have to choose that and 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 you know. Uh, and make that all happen uh, so so that you can get the right colouring of the print. Sometimes you have to think before you actually, if you're going to hand colour something on a black and white print, sometimes you have to think about it before you even press the shutter. Because think think about this, Ed. If, if I'm shooting a, a bunch of candles, for instance, and there's a red candle in there, now if I shoot that on straight HP5 and do a black and white print, that red is going to come out quite dark. Mm -hmm. Once I apply dye to that, I end up with a very dark red that looks like dried blood, which isn't, real, isn't realistic. It doesn't look realistic like the original candle was. was. Right. And in that case, I have to shoot through a filter that makes that red candle look lighter on the finished print than it actually did. And then when I add the color, it then looks like a realistic red. Yeah, so I have to shoot okay. through an orange or a red filter yeah, yeah. to light that particular candle. So, 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 what happens? If you have have a green candle in the same image. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you yeah you have we haven't got the control that digital photographers have got, so yeah. it, we have to sort of decide. How, green's not quite as problematic as, as as red, but you've got the same problem. Yeah, if you add color in foliage, you can add. Well, the great thing about um, colouring foliage is you can lighten the foliage if you're shooting a landscape and you think this is going to be hand coloured. You can shoot through a light green or a green filter to lighten the foliage a bit, or you can shoot in autumn with an orange filter and you get very, very light foliage, then colour it green and it looks like it's shot in spring. Yeah. So there are ways around things, but you've got to be thinking about it all the way along through the process. Yes, that's it, it is quite, yeah, that that's a really interesting characteristic because I think it's not something that we're encouraged to do is it these days with mobile phones in our pockets and and you know they uh, and the ability to just you know uh click and, and go is it do you, do you ever do, do you ever run and gun do you ever think oh i'm going to a, i'm going on a walk today or i'm going to visit a, a city today so i i know what my finished images look like so i'm going to set up my camera and, and and kit in in the right way so then i can just you know shoot whatever i want to and knowing that i'll get something that that comes out at the end or is it not that simple <laughs> it's not that simple because if i go to a city or somewhere i'm generally with my wife and although, she, although she's an artist, she's got no patience whatsoever. So 
won't stand around while I take a picture. There's no point <laughs> taking a tripod. There's no point taking anything bigger than 35 mil. Because if I set a picture up, she'll be off and I won't know where she is. She'll have wandered off somewhere. So <laughs> generally, <laughs> generally the, uh, the cityscapes are done on 35 mil, unless I'm out with another photographer friend. Yes. Uh, yes. It, it, uh, I, 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 could, I could absolutely empathize with that. <laughs> <laughs> I am the lone photographer in our household. So uh, yeah. it, it is. Uh, well, that comes with um, two responsibilities. Uh, well, no, at least one responsibility, which is that everybody wants you to take photographs. So it's yeah. like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, all the grandchildren are gathered together. So let's get all that. You, you've got to go now and take the photograph of the grandchildren. You've got to make sure they're all looking and they're all smiling. And it's all your responsibility, Adrian. Yeah, yeah there's all of that. And and then, of course, the, there is also the uh, why are you holding everybody up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never in any other family pictures. <laughs> no, it was, I, it, do you know what? Funny you should mention that. We had a um, over the 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 Christmas period, we had um, a, an extended family meetup uh, where I took the family photo, um, and then somebody else photoshopped me into it afterwards. <laughs> so this was this was set um, in the dark. Um, we we were at a a, a place called um, Wisley Gardens, which is a Royal Horticultural Society Gardens, not too far from me, and they have this wonderful light show through the gardens. So it's in the in the in the gardens with lots of lights around. Um, but yeah, somebody took a photo of me on a phone um, uh, with you know similar lighting on that same evening, and then photoshopped me into it afterwards. <laughs> so so I did get in the family photo in the end, but but yeah, yeah. but yeah, all, all good fun. So so the the, the printing then. So you know, what? T- tell us a little bit because I I'm I don't know uh, really anything about darkroom printing because it's not something I've experimented with. Um, tell us what what what's your what's your process for for beginners? You know where where to start and and things like that. I, um, I don't think I could tell you that in the time that we've got really into it justice. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I'm not being evasive, um, but it's just I think the basics are out there for anybody to find. Hmm. Uh, if anybody's more interested in in doing dark and work. There's an awful lot of um, dodgy advice on YouTube. Um, a lot of people who are just beginning um, or they've got a little bit of knowledge and they think, I'm going to tell everybody, but yeah. there's a lot more to it than, than the, the bits that they cover. And often there's the elements of it that they're not doing right. And if you get into a bad habit early on in your work, whether it's your photography or your processing or your printing, if you get into bad habits, it can it can be very difficult to change those habits further down the line. So I think it's best to take advice from somebody who... I, don't, I wouldn't take advice from anybody who can't take a decent picture or can't produce. It's no good just asking anybody at work or someone who did it once 40 years ago. You've got to find people who you know can produce the goods and ask them how to do it, yeah? Yeah, no, thank thank you. That's that's very very good advice. Yes, yes. Yeah. There are um, and not not just in analog, of course, in digital photography as well. There are a great many YouTubers who who set themselves up as tutors and teachers, and and yeah. actually, if you you very rarely share any of their work, and if you do see it, then it's like oh. Hmm. Yeah, it's a bit like the camera club um, judges thing, isn't it? Where they would come along and criticize other people's work, but they never took any pictures themselves. 
Yeah, or podcasting. Yeah, it's a good way to talk about <laughs> photography without actually ever doing any photography. Yeah, it's, it's, fantastic. <laughs> it's a fantastic way to 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 yeah to get close to a hobby without actually doing it. It's, it's vicarious. <laughs> it is a little bit. That's why we have to have such great guests on. You see, so we can live vicariously through you now. And and you know, I can now get. Uh, I can dream now of printing you know, amazing prints in in a, in a dark room, even though I've never done that, and it's not a skill I have in the slightest. <laughs> Come to me for a workshop. So well, let's let's do it that way. So so I mean, clearly, my my question about advice for beginners was misplaced, right? So apologies for that. But what? Yeah, what does a what does a workshop with you? What what is that experience like? I've never been on one, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, it's no good asking me. Ask ask the people who've come to see me. Um, I try and keep it. I try and keep it. Um, relaxed but intense if that's not a contradiction so there's plenty in there we cover things properly and in detail and we go through things right from the beginning and i but i make it so that it's easy it's hopefully it's easy to understand and people don't feel pressurized into doing something they're not interested in um so I don't say oh i'm doing a landscape workshop or i'm doing a, a night workshop people mm -hmm. And say to, I say to the people, um, what are you interested in? What do you want to learn? Uh, ask me anything. If you want to change tack halfway through the day, we can do. If you want to try two or three different things, we can do. It's completely up to you because I want people to get value for money. And that's one of the reasons why I do one to one workshops and not group workshops because I want to make sure that that person absolutely gets value for money and, and learns as much as they possibly can in the time allowed. It can be anything. It can be anything at all. Uh, so, 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 okay. So, yeah, that's, that sounds really good. So if I said to you something along the lines of, uh, you know, I've got my 6x12 chroma camera. I'd love to go and take some photographs around somewhere near you right and 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 then come for a workshop or something like that and, and learn how to print or would it, could i bring you know negatives i'd shot elsewhere or anything yeah. Like that? yeah 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 and when people come to me for a printing workshop i say bring your negatives, bring your good negatives, bring your bad negatives, show me some prints that you've done, show me some prints that you're having difficulty with, and let's, let's work on those. Okay. So I, want to, I don't just want people to come and say, this is my best work. I want to know what they're having problems with and, and, and sort those problems out. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. So Claire, you've got a big medium format project that you're working through for this year so what what are you taking from this conversation what are you what, are you, what is it raising more questions is it inspiring you it is inspiring me yeah i i think i should come on a workshop because <laughs> i want to do because i've i'm i'm really becoming out of my comfort zone for this project going onto medium format and i want to shoot in low lights as well and it's fun with um some leds as well so yeah. So for me, if I came on your workshop, I would, I think I'd like to go out and shoot first and yeah. then do the printing, you know, if that's possible. And so some people could do that, could they, on your workshop? You Someone come that. printing. When you're printing. using LED lights, you're shooting in the evening, are you? In low light. Okay. Low light, yeah. Um, and I want to use, do long exposures, so I want to use a drone if I can, with some LEDs on the outside to make a... <laughs> so, so, so you're using the light source? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. 
And you doing? Um, are you planning to do some light like painting with the drone as well? So the drone will actually be on the exposure, yeah. I think, isn't it, Claire? Yes. yes. Well, yeah. The image as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Why don't you do it vertically um, before you do it? So, so you can say, okay, I'm going to be when that drone's up there, it's twenty feet up. Huh? I'm going to I'm going to set myself up twenty feet away from a wall, and I'm going to wave this light around like this. And I'm going to work out what the exposure is for that distance, and it'll be the same for that the distance up and down as it is for front and back. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. true. The distance will be the same. Out. The fall off will be the same, won't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great. Great. See, and and for me, what I think, and I'm sure a lot of listeners must be like me, I learn by doing. Yeah. So, you can say, so I would really benefit to be with someone like yourself on a workshop because I it sinks in more if I learn, if I do it, you know, Uh, bits of reading, but I like to do as well, which, which actually brings me on to another point. Sorry, I hope I'm not digressing too much, but what would listeners, it could, what could listeners expect with your, um, your night photography book? Um, yeah. What type of (laughs) things would I, (laughs) what sort of, it came out in 2001. Yeah. Uh, it's out, out, I'm not sure if it's out of print now, but uh, there are plenty of second-hand copies out there that people don't want. Um, it's, it, it covers everything, basically, from uh, how to establish an exposure, um, different options for processing, printing, even toning, as well as an, uh, there's a, a, a section mm. on toning, which I don't think many people are doing these days, uh, lift printing, um, reciprocity charts, things like that. So it, it covers all sorts of things. There's no digital in it. There's no digital. There's a bit of colour. Um, but the thing is that the, the street lighting has changed since I did that. That was all with orange street lighting, and now everybody's got white uh, LED lighting. Yeah. yeah. principles are still the same. It's, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't say you must go out and give it 30 seconds at F11 or anything like that. It just says, you know, meter it this way and then work out the final exposure this way. So you can still do that with LED lights. Mm. Yeah, the techniques. So it's a book of, of art and technique then, the night photography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah, interesting. Oh, well, t- so yeah, lots of talks, uh, a huge amount, lots of stuff. Um, uh, maybe, yeah, it's time, time to start wrapping up the conversation a little bit. So I'm curious, what, is, what does 2023 hold for you, Andrew? Yeah. What are you looking forward to doing this year? Where, where's, where's your art and your life going to take you this year? I've been so busy supporting my wife's work because she's very, very busy. I've also got uh, my dad's 93 and I care for him uh, four days a week. So my photography time has been really pinched small yeah. now. Uh, and I'm just trying to just, uh, keep up with my processing. So process the eggs, put them away, hopefully get a chance to print them. And that's been going on for quite a while now. So I've got an awful lot of, of a backlog of work that I've shot that hasn't been printed yet. And I just, I'm just hoping I'll get a bit of time to go in there just pull out a neg file and go, I'm going to print that, I'm going to print that, I'm going to print that, and just have a play and, and just just experiment with things, really. So it's, 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 it's not quite what I was talking about earlier, shooting something and processing it when, when the excitement is there. Yeah. Uh, that's not practical at the moment. I can't do that with a, because of all the uh, responsibilities and time constraints. But it, uh, I'm missing the printing part of it. I'm getting less and less time to do that at the moment. So that's what I'm looking forward to doing. But I can't see any way uh, that's going to happen just yet. It's not. Uh, it's not on the horizon. So 
I'm, I'm going in tomorrow, and hopefully I've got a full day tomorrow, which is a, a rarity, and uh, we'll see what happens. So, Do you have as well, Andrew, you said earlier about your head is full of projects. Do you constantly think, can you constantly imagine like projects or images in here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's constantly every day you're thinking, oh, I... Mm, this this part of you know my neighbourhood or area or I never do a project. Uh, yeah, I never do a project because um, I like I like to do a, an image that works in and of itself. Uh, if I was doing a project, I might get one shot that I was really really pleased with, and have ten shots which are average. And rather than those things all working as a whole, those nine nine or ten average shots would take away from that one good shot. So for okay. me that it, it would be counterproductive. I want to produce one shot that works and then do something else completely different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So projects aren't for me. It's not, and, and I haven't got the, the staying power. I'm easily distracted. Uh, you know, I'll start something with a great deal of enthusiasm and then I'm onto something else a short yeah. time. So I could never stick to a proper project. Mm. Now, I just want to ask another question. You know, you were saying you could take, if you did a project, you might get one excellent picture and you think nine that you consider average. Do you think it's possible to transform what might people might think of their average shots through the printing? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. That's yeah, yeah. the magic. and yeah, yeah. There's an awful lot you can do in printing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can. But um, I, I'm just, yeah, it's mainly that I, I wouldn't be able to stick a project out. I know that I would never have the staying power. It would, be, it would become a chore very quickly, you know. Yeah. So if you if you were to do one, though, what would you would you have to do it over, like, say, a couple of days, you know, like plan it, plan it, plan it, think about it and then go out and shoot maybe just two or three nights or one night and think this. I'm going to go here, here, shoot it. And then, like you say, process it. So yeah. the, the, yeah. The, the motivation and the excitement stays. Yeah. 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 So the last time that happened was, um, you know, it would be October when we had uh, a nice autumn for a change. We had often we get the leaves are starting to turn and we get a hell of a lot of wind and it blows all the leaves off and you miss autumn. But this year it didn't happen that way. The leaves were on the trees for quite a long time. And I managed to get out and do some shots in the woods for a couple of days, you know, one day here, one day there. Mm. And I was excited about those and I printed them up and made some large copy eggs and then did um, sanotypes off them. And, and that was really getting me excited. And I, I didn't get back to it. That was October. Um, the, the impetus is gone now, but I did manage to produce some work that I was pleased with, and it was that thing: shoot it, make negative, pro, print it in, in a short space of time. Yeah, to keep it complete, and I think that's probably good discipline as well, so that because so that you follow through and complete what you've done, uh, yeah. rather they go out and sh shoot and then maybe never print from your roles. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> Linking back to a few things we've said, I've actually got um, about eight rolls of colour negative film in a drawer in the darkroom that was shot in 1984. Oh, wow. Mm. <laughs> they would be so exciting. No reason for me to, I can't throw them away, but there's no, no reason for me to process them because they're just going to be awful. They're going to be absolute rubbish. Oh, no. I think, do, you know, do you know what's on them? Can you remember what, the, what you've taken? Night district, just a, a holiday in the night district. Oh, I think they'd be incredible because they'd be so of the time, you know, you'd look back and you'd think, oh, look at that clothes or maybe that, like you're saying. That yeah, I don't think there are many people in them, but I think that the um, the style of photography will be both yeah. amateurish and innocent at the same time. Um, 
because obviously the longer you're doing something, the more you get set into certain ways of doing things. Mm. Early on in your career or your, your, your style, you're, you're photographing everything and anything and, and not really knowing what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. So that, I think that part of it might be interesting to see how I used to see things, but I don't know if I can be bothered to process them really. I've got too many other things I want to do. Uh, I think you should, definitely. <laughs> that might be a case for, if you think you're never going to do that, might be a case for just sending them to a lab and getting some prints back and then yeah. You to, yeah, and, and see. I don't might. know whether the fact that they've been sitting around for so long might mean that the latent images started to go a little bit. Uh, I was thinking I might try and process one myself and give it a little bit extra just to see if I can bring out what's on the negatives because it would be very disappointing to process a film or send it off and find out every all the negatives is really faint and there's nothing worth printing on them you know mm. Mm, interesting well uh yes okay well listen andrew thank you so much I, we've had a, a wide-ranging conversation this evening uh a, a lot of fun uh i, I definitely uh yeah de definitely is inspiring me to go out and experiment this year um I've, i you know i i have a constant battle at this time every year to say okay well i'm really going to make an effort this year i'm not going to let life get in the way and so i i yeah, it's always good to have these kind of conversations early in the year to set some set some inspiration I think definitely some food for thought there for you for for your project that you've got on this year mm -hmm. as well. So uh, yes, so um, Andrew, I just you know um, you mentioned earlier on right at the top of the conversation, but we we'll go through it again. So you would like uh, for people to go see your work Instagram would be yeah, a place to be the best place to look. Um, but scroll back a long way because when I first went on Instagram, it was seven years ago and I put a new I put I went through all my portfolio and I put a different image up every day mm. Did that, and I managed to do that for just over a year uh, and then it was it was whatever I had printed at the time so it was the most recent stuff but the, the I think the best the best body of work is, is further back on the Instagram stuff I'm not saying that everything I've done since is rubbish, but uh, the most consistent body of it is basically the, uh, the, the first two or th the first year or two of, of Instagram. Okay, great. Thank you. A good, good tip uh, there. And yeah. then, and then, uh, the web is your blog and has information about workshops and printing services and things like that. Yeah. 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 And, and, and it's got articles that are, it's not just me waffling on about opening a box with a camera in it and things like that. It's, it's, you know, <laughs> your cynicism is showing there a little. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's hopefully, hopefully, it's information that's useful to people who want to do film and darkroom work. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. And your books are available on Amazon, Andrew. Yeah, well, they're certainly available on eBay um, or uh, Abe, uh, Abe Books, A B E, Abe.com. Abe. Look at it. That's a second hand book thing, and uh, you'll find them on there. So, yeah, there's, 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 um, Night photography. Yeah. There's hand colouring and alternative darkroom processes. Yeah. And there's home photography. Cool. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you once again. Um, uh, I think that's us done done for the, this uh, show. Unless, Claire, you have anything that, yeah, any, any news or information for the listeners? Any news or information aid? <laughs> Nothing this week. Oh well, we'll just keep it. We'll just keep it short and sweet and to the point. Then um, we have been the Sunny Sixteen podcast. Uh, as ever, it's a joy to talk to to you all out there in in the world of internet land and uh, listening to podcasts. Uh, we will be back again next week, uh, and we'll speak to you then. Take care. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.